Good evening, church. Let's take our Bibles tonight and open to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter number 2 is going to be our study tonight. So if you'll go back to the book of Revelation and flip a few pages backwards, you'll find 1 John tucked right behind 2 Peter. 1 John chapter number 2. And before you get there, or while you're getting there rather, I want to give you some context about what's going on before we actually get into the message. The Apostle John, who's quite a bit older now, is writing to a group of believers. And he is correcting some of the false doctrine that had been spread by what he calls antichrists. You see, these antichrists had taught that Jesus wasn't actually the Son of God, that he wasn't actually 100% deity, but that he was just a man that received God's spirit at his baptism in Matthew 3. And then that spirit left when Jesus was crucified. They also believed that Jesus, when he rose from the grave, was just a phantom. He wasn't actually Jesus, the Christ, walking amongst them, but it was just a phantom. So John is writing here, and he's trying to uh, help these believers navigate through this false teaching. And he's trying to get their minds set back on the truth that they had heard from the beginning, that they had heard prior to this uh, bad teaching that they had received from these antichrists. So we're going to pick up in verse number 28 tonight. Verse 28, 1 John, chapter number 2, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Over the past several weeks, there has been much discussion about the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many believe that the Bible is actually unfolding right before our eyes. You see, the thing about Jesus' return is that the circumstances that we are in, whatever they may be, that should always be something that we look forward to. It shouldn't cause, or circumstances rather, shouldn't cause us to look more forward to the return of Jesus But that should already be our disposition as Christians. I mean, you think for the past 2,000 years or so, going all the way back to Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, for the earnest expectation of the creature is the manifestation of the sons of God, because the creature, that is the creation, it was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. But then he says in Romans 8, 21, that the creation is going to be delivered from the corruption of bondage into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And then it says in verse 22 of Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. But then it says something else. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. 
So from Romans chapter 8, 2,000 or so years ago, Christians have been waiting, anticipating, eagerly for the return of Jesus Christ. And it should be no uh, different today, regardless of what our present circumstances are. The thing about Jesus' return is, man, it's going to be such a joyous moment. It's going to be such a happy moment. It's going to be such a powerful moment. Is it going to be happy? Yes. Is it going to be joyous? Yes. But not for all Christians, it's not. Not all Christians are going to see the return of Jesus as a joyous, happy moment. What do you mean by that, Brother Tanner? I mean that when Jesus returns, while many, many Christians are going to be happy and excited and joyful about it, there will be Christians that bow their head in shame, that turn their face from him because they don't want to see him. The return of Jesus isn't going to be a happy moment for all believers. So church, I, I preach this message tonight because when Jesus was, returns, I don't want any of the fellowship family to be ashamed at his appearing. I don't want any of our, uh, our fellow church family to look at Jesus and, and turn their heads when he returns because of some sort of shame. So that's what we're going to preach about tonight. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about how do we prepare for the appearing of Jesus? How do we prepare for the appearing of Jesus? How can we prepare for the return of Jesus in such a way that that day can be as joyous as it's supposed to be? I want to start by looking at verse number 28. Would you look at it with me? It says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. God's children are supposed to abide in Jesus now so that they aren't ashamed when he returns. God's children are supposed to abide in Jesus now so they aren't ashamed when he returns. John addresses those he was writing to as dear children. John was much older at the time and he had a great, great love for this group of people that he's writing to. And the first thing John commands them here in verse 28 is to abide. He says, little children, I want you to abide. Now this teaching to abide in Jesus is pretty familiar when it comes to John's writing. John dedicated an entire chapter in John chapter 15 of Jesus teaching the disciples what it looks like to abide in him. But when you think about abiding in Jesus, that can seem quite ambiguous, can it? It can seem a little bit vague. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus in everyday life? Well, the word to abide, it simply means to stay. It simply means to remain with Jesus, stay close to Jesus, stay connected to Jesus. Now we know about the spiritual disciplines, right? Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, praise, worship, meditation. All those things are great and we need them. But I want to explain a concept of abiding in Jesus in this way. Abiding in Jesus is a rule of life. It's a rule of life. It's the idea that our lives are ordered. No matter what uh, area of life it may be, our lives are to be ordered around living in the presence of God through Christ. You see, we have our spiritual lives and then we have our other lives. So we kind of compartmentalize our spiritual lives and then the rest of our lives is for our own. But that's totally against the teachings of Christ. Christ said, I want you to abide in me. 
That word abide is a present tense command. It's something you're supposed to be doing all day, every day, abiding in him. So I've got some practical ways how you can live that out. And and we're going to make some concentric circles here. We're going to work from the outside in on how we can practically abide in Jesus in our everyday lives. Number one, plan your year around God-honoring events. Now, we have many of those here at the church every year. We have uh, missions conferences, revivals, amen conference, uh, ladies meetings, um, and so forth. We, we offer marriage conferences to go to that, that are out of state that we can do yearly to keep our minds centered around Jesus. There's um, Easter, obviously, that's coming up and Christmas. And those two big events really pour, pull our mind back to Jesus. But I want to offer you some other things. One way I'd offer you to stay connected to Jesus in a, from a yearly scheme is take a vacation. Yeah, t- you heard that right. Take a vacation. Go on vacation and uh, go with your family. Go with a group of friends. Go to somewhere like Branson, Missouri, where you can go to the, sound, the Sight and Sound uh, Theater and watch a, a biblical-based play. Go to somewhere like Kentucky, where you can go to the, uh, I believe it's in Kentucky, correct me if I'm wrong, sometime in the future, where you can go to the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter. Hey, these are great ideas, these yearly vacations you can take with friends or family to just reorient yourself back around King Jesus. Another way you can do that, hey, save up for a trip to the Holy Land. Go to the Holy Land one time and, and, and plan that yearly vacation to do something cool like that. Second, we have monthly. What can we do monthly to keep our lives oriented around Jesus? Well, monthly, uh, do this. Once a month, set aside an extended period of time to be alone with Jesus. Once a month. Whether you have to find an Airbnb or a hotel room or maybe just drive out into the country, spend a whole day. Spend part of a day, spend several hours. I'm not talking 30 minutes here or 25 minutes or an hour. I'm talking several hours. Spend several hours just with you and Jesus once a month. That's a great way to keep ourselves engaged and keep ourselves abiding in him. But then we have weekly things, don't we? We have things like church service. Three times a week, many of you attend. Three times a week. But something else I want to offer for you weekly. um, How about a fast? Add a fast, say Wednesday or Friday or whatever day works best for you. Skip breakfast and lunch and spend those times praying for something specific. Be intentional about those times during breakfast and lunch. And then after uh, Wednesday night service or something, go out to eat with some friends or, or eat with your family. But that's one way once a week we can kind of reorient ourselves back to abiding in Jesus. But then we have our daily principles, don't we? We have our daily disciplines. That's Bible reading, that's prayer, that's meditation, that's devotional book reading. We have all those things that we can do daily. So I would suggest start off in the morning. A great time to to start your day before the sun even comes up is by getting alone with Jesus. At lunch, get alone with Jesus. Pray five minutes, three minutes. Hey, it doesn't matter the time. What matters is you're getting your mindset back to Jesus is Lord. And then before you go to bed, say another prayer. Pray for your family. Pray for a friend. Pray for something that's burdening your heart. I want to go another step further. Maybe two more steps further. One thing you can do is reorient yourself back to Jesus in the transitions of your day. Before you go to work. 
before you go to lunch, as you drive to the gym, before your workout, as you're driving home, maybe when you pull up into the driveway of your home before you go in, before dinner. Hey, there, there are transitions in our lives that we can take a little bit of time and reorient ourselves back to King Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, pull out a memory card uh, from your pocket and review a verse that you want to work on. Maybe you read a page from a devotional book. Maybe you say a, a quick prayer. Maybe you listen to a, a snippet of a sermon. Hey, do something that gets your mind back into abiding in Jesus. I want to go one more step further, though, church. Hourly. Abide in Jesus hourly. You see, it's not just a weekly or a monthly or a yearly thing that we abide in Jesus. No, it's a present tense verb that we do all day long. So hourly, set a reminder on your phone that tells you, hey, abide in Jesus and hourly. It doesn't have to be long, but every hour when you see that reminder pop up, just say a quick prayer. Lord, you are Lord. Or Lord, you are God. Or, or anything. Really, it can be anything, but hourly remind yourself that Jesus is king. Always come back to the fact that Jesus is king. So we have yearly, monthly, weekly, daily, transitionally, and even hourly abiding in Jesus. I promise you, if you do those things, you'll experience what abiding in Jesus is really like. So let's answer this question then. How long are we to abide in Jesus? Well, according to the verse, we're to be abiding in Jesus until the presence of Christ returns. Until Jesus returns, it says, abide in him that when he shall appear. So it's telling us, abide until he comes back. You see, when uh, Jesus left the disciples in Acts chapter 1, two men stood in white clothing. And the disciples, they just stared up into heaven as Jesus departed. And these two men, they said, hey, why are you staring up into heaven? Why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, they just ascended up into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way. And then in Revelation chapter number 22, three times it says, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Surely I come quickly. That's not an if, friend. That's a when. Jesus is going to return. So we abide in him until he returns. When we abide in him until he returns, we do that so that we'll have confidence. At his return. We do that for confidence. In verse 28 it says that we may have confidence. What that word confidence means. It means to have boldness or liberty. It's almost as if, this, as if those who abide in Christ. Until he returns are going to. They're going to spread their arms out wide. It's a word that means freedom. It means liberty. But it kind of means freedom of speech as well. It's like they're going to open their arms when they see Jesus and say, yes, yes, you've returned, you're here, you're back, thank you, thank you, I love you, I love you. It's, it's kind of like a, in wrestling, when I was a kid, I grew up on old school, old fashioned wrestling. And some of the coolest moments in wrestling was when a superstar hasn't been there in a while, maybe he's been hurt or just taking a break, and out of nowhere, his music hits, and the crowd just goes wild, because it's unexpected, and they're all excited to see this star. I think that's going to be how it's going to be for when Jesus returns. Those children of God that have been abiding in him, when Jesus' music hits, the trumpet sounds, and he returns, hey, it's going to be a great moment. We're all going to shout and lift our hands in the air. It's going to be awesome. But to those who don't abide in Jesus now, rather than spreading their arms out wide and accepting Jesus in all of his glory, 
they're going to be ashamed. And they won't shout at the sound of the trumpet. They'll bow their heads. They'll have wished they could have done more. They'll have wished they could have done better. They'll have wished that they could have spent more time abiding in him. But at that point, church, it'll be too late. What would cause one of God's children to be ashamed at his return? What would cause that? Well, they would be ashamed if they weren't living a life that was characteristic of that of a child of God. Verse 29 shows us what that characteristic is. Verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. You see, God's children are supposed to be righteous as he is righteous. It's a fundamental characteristic of a child of God that he resembles his Savior in his righteousness. Christians that aren't living righteously, I'm sorry to say, that will be ashamed at his coming. Verse 29 not only helps us to understand the shame in verse 28, but it also sets up another train of thought that runs through verse 10 of chapter 3. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to stick with me here. We're going to reread uh, verse 1 from chapter 3, and it's going to seem like a, a change of thought maybe, like it doesn't fit in. But if you'll stick with me, I promise you all of this will tie together. Look at verse 1 from chapter number 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. That word behold, it's a command to see something or notice something. Well, to see what? That word behold is telling us to see the love that God has bestowed upon us in making us children. Hey, friend, we daily, we daily need to remind ourselves and be reminded of the love of God for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Or God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, rather, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me in the life that I, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In 1 John, it actually says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he gave us his only begotten Son. Because he laid down his life for us. In verse 10 of chapter 4, it says, In this was manifested uh, the love of God uh, toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. God's love is great. God's love is powerful. We daily need that reminder. And John thought it was such a big deal, he commanded them to acknowledge it. He commanded them to look at it. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. God's love for us is expressed in making us children. You see, it's no small thing to be a child of God. It's a privilege to be a child of God. It isn't like the day you were born to your natural parents. No, it's a, it's a supernatural thing to be born of God. In John chapter 1, he says he came, it says in verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not a natural act for man to be born of God. It's a supernatural act, and it's a privilege. But I want you to notice, 
It says at the end of verse 1, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Though it's a privilege, you are nothing special to the world. Hey, if your boss doesn't like you because of your Christian standards, no big deal. Hey, if, if, if your family doesn't like you because of the standards you hold to, you hold to the, the doctrines of this book and you, you hold to the Savior of this book, hey, guess what? No big deal. The world's not meant to like us. The world's not supposed to appreciate us. Why? It says because the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The world didn't revere him. The world didn't care about him. The world didn't acknowledge him in any positive way. Why would we think they would acknowledge us in a positive way? You don't need this world's love, honor, or adoration. You have all the love you need in the Lord. But as the old saying goes, even though God loves you, he loves you way too much just to leave you where you are. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God's children will become exactly like Christ whenever they see him in all of his glory. Isn't that encouraging? The moment you see Jesus, and the moment he returns, whether you're joyful about it or not, or whether you're ashamed of your past actions or not, the Bible says that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. We'll see him in all of his glory, and we'll be changed into his image. No more sin, no more iniquity, no more transgressions, no more shortcomings, no more hurting people. We'll be just like him when we see him as he is. And boy, oh boy, I can't wait for that day. That's going to be a great day. It's great that we'll be like him when we see him. I look forward to that day. But what does it mean for us right now? Look at verse 3. Every man that hath this hope, this hope of being like him when they see him, this is what they do now. It says he purifieth himself even as he is pure. The hope of being like Jesus in the future expresses itself in the purifying of ourselves to be like him in the present. Do you get that? The hope of being like Jesus in the future expresses itself in the purifying of ourselves to be like him in the presence. So obviously you continue abiding in him, but part of that abiding is to continually be purifying yourself as Jesus is pure. That word purify there, it's used seven times in the New Testament. Several times it talks about a ceremonial cleansing. But three other times it refers to making yourself morally clean. Getting sin out of your life. It's talking about not a moral cleansing, not a washing of the hands, not a shower or a bath or anything like that. No, it's talking about a washing of the heart, a cleansing of the heart, a cleansing of the inside. Getting sin from the inside out of your life. If you have this hope in him, if you hope to be like him someday, this is what you do now. You work on getting sin out of your life. Just a couple of practical ways you do that. You have a problem with anger. You need to eradicate it. You need to purify it. Anyone or anytime someone slightly steps on your toes, you blow up, you go off the handle. Here's what you do. Find a verse in the Bible 
that speaks on anger and the destruction of anger and how our anger is so unlike the anger of the Lord. Memorize that verse. Meditate on it. Or do this. Go to a brother or sister in Christ who has struggled with anger and ask them how they got over it. Ask them how they purified it out of their life. Maybe you struggle with lying. Well, it isn't that you lie, but you just don't tell all the truth. Rather than lying, make this a practice in your life. Go above and beyond with the truth. Be intentional about telling the truth and never leaving details out. Maybe you struggle with envy. Other people have things you want. Other people have material possessions that you want. Other people have relationships that you want. How do you combat that? How do you purify that out of your life? Well, you focus on what you have. Because what you already have whether you like it or not, it's a gift from God to you. It's a gift. So be content with it. Appreciate it. Learn to be content with such things as you have. You see, the hope of, of being like Jesus in the future, it expresses itself in the purifying of ourselves in the present. If you have the hope of seeing Jesus and being just like him when you see him in all of his glory, you see, what I love about that verse, he won't be the crucified Savior that we see in the Gospels. No, he'll be in his glorified form, and it'll be amazing. If you have that hope and you purify yourself now, get sin out of your life now. Church, Jesus is going to return. It's going to happen. For some, it's going to be a joyous occasion, but for others, it won't be. So let's answer the question in full from the very beginning of the message. How do we prepare for the return of Christ? Or as the text puts it, how do we prepare for the appearing of Jesus? And here it is. Prepare for his appearing by abiding and purifying. Prepare for his appearing by abiding and purifying. Prepare for his appearing by having this rule of life. I'm going to live all of my life in the presence of Christ. I'm not just going to have a spiritual corner and then everything is up for me. Everything else is up for me to run and to decide and to control. No, have this rule of life. Jesus is in charge of everything in your life. He's with you at church. He's with you as you read your Bible. He's with you as you pray. But he's also with you when you cut your lawn. He's also with you when you're at the grocery store. He's also with you when you're about to have an argument with your boss or an argument with your spouse or when your or child is, is annoying you. He's with you then. At all times of the day, Jesus said, Lo, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. Abiding in Jesus is having the rule of life that everything in life is done in his presence. And then you pre prepare for his appearing by purifying yourself. By becoming pure as he is pure, by getting sin out of your life. Church, prepare for his appearing by abiding and purifying. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that you'd help us to apply your word. Help us to abide in you more. Help us to abide in you daily. Help us to rid sin of our life. Get sin out of our life. Father, help us to patiently 
yet eagerly await for your return, Lord. What a day that will be. I cannot wait for that day, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen the fellowship family. Help them to abide in you. Help them to purify their lives. Help them uh, at their homes and, and in their work to, Lord, live under your rule. God, we're so thankful to know you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.